Well, let's look at, uh, at chapter 1, verse 9. Before we get into it too fast, you guys remember that, how many of you have been here every week so far? Okay. Some of you remember that we talked about, and most of you already know this, that the writer of the book of Acts was also the writer of the gospel of Luke. His name was Luke. Luke. His name was Luke. So we know that much, but there's some things maybe that, that you don't know that as we, especially today and what we're going to look at, you need to know about Luke. Luke was um, a brilliant guy. First of all, Luke was the only Gentile writer in the Bible. He's the only one um, that was a Gentile that wasn't a Jew. Luke was a Greek. Luke was Greek. I don't know if you know anything about the Greeks, but the Greeks, by nature and by training, were very creative and very critical thinkers. These guys were very bright, very educated. If you know, if you know anything about Colossians, you've read through Colossians, you might remember that Luke was a very good friend of Paul and went with him here and there and tended to some of his ailments. And in Colossians, I think it's 4, Verse 14, he calls Luke the beloved physician. So we know that Luke was a doctor, right? So he's a Greek. By nature, by training, he's, he, we know that he's smart. We know that he's a critical thinker, critical writer, create, critical um, uh, and creative kind of guy. We know that he is a doctor. You also may know that he is a great historian. The reason that he's considered a great historian is because of how accurate his accounts of events that he documented in the Gospels and in the book of Acts were. He's a smart guy. He took things very seriously as a Greek should. Greek educated person. He took things very, very uh, seriously and he carefully recorded everything that he had seen and everything that he had heard. In fact, if you look at at Luke chapter 1, verse 2, he says, from the beginning who were eyewitnesses. In other words, he was interviewing people from the beginning, from the get-go of his journey. He was uh, interviewing people that had seen everything that was going down. Like, over and over, he just had people. He said, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. It wasn't like, hey, what did you see? All right. And then he wrote, I mean, he was like very intense, very critical thinking about this and writing. Um, If you look at verse 3, at three, he said that he had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. So in Luke two one two, he says that for beginning he was uh, interviewing all the eyewitnesses. Verse three, he says that he had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. That may sound like he's very arrogant. Yeah, I'm a Greek and I knew everything that was going on. That's actually a medical term that he's using. It means having closely traced, having. Um, it's like a, 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 a phrase or a term that they would use as a doctor when investigating symptoms. So he investigated the gospel much like he would investigating me if I were sick. He would say, okay, let me check your pulse. Let me check this. Let me stick your tongue out, you know, whatever, whatever doctors do. And, um, and so Luke was very, very precise, very accurate, very, took a whole lot of time. He's the one that, that gave the most thorough account of John the Baptist and his birth. He's the one that gave the most thorough account of Jesus's birth. He's the only one to report, report the, the two guys that met with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You guys remember that story? He's the one. Think about that. So tell me what you saw. Well, we were, 
We were on the road to Emmaus, and we were walking, and blah, blah, blah. You hear what I'm saying? He interviewed these people. He's talking to everybody because he wanted to get the exact thing that was going on, the exact representation, a true, legit, well-thought-out, and well-written story. A lot of what you see in Luke um, aren't even recorded in other places. He went above and beyond. A lot of the parables you find in there. In fact, I read this week that there was a um, a turn-of-the-century New Testament uh, archaeologist. His name was Sir William Ramsey. And um, it is said that Sir William Ramsey was actually converted to Christianity because of the precise accuracy of Luke's um, depiction of the conditions of the times around Jesus. This guy, the turn of this century, or I guess last century, was saved because of the, because of the research and knowledge and, and everything that Luke had. Isn't that cool? In fact, he wrote a book in 1915, and he says that this author, talking about Luke, should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. That's the author of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. That's good to know, isn't it? With that said, what I want us to do is take a very close and careful look at Luke's choice of words here in verse 9, 10, 11. And we should do that always, and I think we do do that always. But especially here, this is a very important place to look carefully at his words. Look at Acts 1 verse 9. It says, After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. After he had said these things. After he had said what things? Remember verse 6 through 8. We talked about it last week. This is the discussion about whether or not Jesus was about to uh, restore the kingdom of Israel. They said, is this time, is this time where you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or hours about what the Father has fixed by his own authority about this stuff. What you need to focus on is that you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria. So he says these things. He says, don't worry about that. You worry about being uh, empowered very soon. So after he had said these things to him about this discussion, keep that, in discuss- that discussion in mind. If you were here last week, you know a lot of details about that discussion. Keep it in mind. Restoring Israel, not restoring Israel. He said... Um, after he had said these things, it says he was lifted up while they were still looking on. Now, let me say, too, that this event, and the reason I'm kind of not moving too fast and too far, too quick, is because this event, in your Bible, in mine, it says the ascension. How many of yours has that little section entitled the ascension? Okay. In our faith, I believe this is one of the most important events For the believer, for these disciples, for us as disciples, this is one of the most important events. In fact, let me tell you this, guys. When I was studying for this, I was looking, I was reading some of these things about Luke and just, oh, wow, I didn't know Luke was this. Or, hey, Luke was this. Hey, Sir Sir William, this, that. And then I um, wrote, I literally typed out Acts 1. I read it. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm not joking, I was just sitting there, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, this cramp came into my right uh, what do you call that? Hamstring. And it was just like, all of a sudden, it just went, boom, and it grabbed me, you guys. And I was just like, what? And I, I was upstairs here. And I jumped up, and I'm like, oh! I was literally yelling at the top of my, it hurt so bad. I'm like, what is going on? And I was like, 
doing everything. I'm like holding still because you know sometimes cramps can release. And this really happened, I promise. And so I'm like standing on one leg, trying to take all pressure and stuff. I'm like, oh, 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 and literally had my hamstring. And so I'm like sitting there, and finally it it went away a little bit. And then I stepped down, and as soon as I stepped down, it was back again. I was like, oh screaming i don't know if people were walking by the sidewalks that they've been like what goes on in that church you know but i was sitting there and uh and i honestly you guys i just started praying i was like lord i was just praying god you like, i don't know what's going on here and then i just felt in my spirit i need to start kicking some tail in the name of jesus on the enemy i don't know if you how you feel about that but sometimes the enemy tries to cause havoc and i just started rebuking the enemy and i started um, just taking authority, and I got so into the prayer that I just started walking like this. You want some of me? You know that kind of stuff. Not really like that, but I was just praying in the name of Jesus and rebuking the enemy. And I just felt in my spirit that the enemy doesn't want too much of a focus on this. And really, ever since then, there's just been some little things. If you're aware of inner things, just little things like technical things and this and that. I just feel like the enemy would like to rob us from having a good view of the ascension. And you guys, after I stopped praying, that, that cramp was gone. I don't even know where it came from. I was just sitting there. I was at a whoa. Anyway, I know how you feel about that stuff. If you have inside information about cramps that would lead me to believe it was something other than the enemy, you let me know. But until then, I'm going to believe that the enemy is out to steal the word of God from you guys. So anyway, what was I saying? <laughs> so he was lifted up while they were looking on. Now listen, it says that he was lifted up while they were looking on. Jesus wasn't just grabbed by the back of the neck like a little kitten and carried off by a mama cat. It wasn't that kind of lifted up. You know how they, and the cat's just like, you know? He also, he also wasn't, you know, grabbed by some sort of holy meat hook and just went, oh, come on! And it's just like, you know, it wasn't that kind of stuff. Okay, he wasn't just, he just didn't, whatever. That word lifted has a very specific and very Luke-ish, precise, accuracy meaning to it. That word lifted up there means to be lifted up with pride. It means to exalt oneself. This isn't just a word, yeah, he was, he just flew away, you know. It says that he was lifted, it says look, uh, lifted up, but the, the meaning of it was, that he was lifted up with pride. In other words, when Jesus went up, it was like someone in control. Someone who had it together. Someone that was, that was um, um, in control. It's kind of like you guys have seen Iron Man. How many of you have seen Iron Man? You know, the second one's coming out. It's going to be awesome. You know. But you guys remember the scene where he's got that stuff where he's going to fly, but he put those um, stabilizers on his hand. You guys remember that? And he's trying to you know, figure out how to work on and get used to it. And then all of a sudden he's like flying and hitting the walls and going through the roof and he can't control himself. That's not what was happening to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was in control. Jesus had, to get, had it together. He wasn't, listen, he wasn't being tossed around by Roman soldiers. He wasn't, he wasn't wobbling under the weight of the cross in that moment. He wasn't limp and wrapped in burial garments in that moment. Jesus was in control, and he was being lifted up with pride. He was, in that moment, being exalted. You guys hear what I'm saying? Jesus probably looked more majestic and more kingly in that moment than the disciples had ever seen him look. 
maybe aside from um, Peter, James, and John who saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know that anybody had seen him in the, in the was that who was up there? Peter, James, and John? That's right. Peter, come on up. James, y'all come on. Okay, yeah, I remember the story. So the disciples may have finally seen something in their Savior, in their King, in their Messiah, other than a simple servant. And I bet they were pretty excited about it. He was being lifted up. He was being lifted up as one lifted up with pride, as one being exalted. And then it says that as he was being lifted up, they were looking on. Again, it's more than just a word. Looking, that looking can mean see, to see, but it also um, can be translated or rendered to discern. And in context, I feel like to discern is the right rendering of this word. Jesus is being lifted up. They're seeing him. And I think they weren't just going, oh, wow. I think they're looking. And I think they had their discerning hats on. And I think they're really digesting the moment. The disciples had made it very clear just two verses before what they were expecting from this moment. In verse 6. They, were still had, they still had this intense desire to see Jesus as a conquering king. The disciples still longed for Israel to be restored as a nation. They were looking, they were discerning if this was the moment that it was about to happen. You guys tracking with me? If this was the moment where Jesus was about to get after it, the disciples in this moment were captivated. And they were looking. They were probably captivated because of what was happening. Jesus is flying. You know what I mean? But also because of what they thought was about to happen. You have to take this in context of what was going on. They're, they have their discerning hats on. This is it, guys. You guys seeing this? Is this whenever, he, you know, all this stuff. Two more really important words to understand are cloud and received. Cloud and received. It says, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, we're not talking about just a cloud. We're not talking about, just about a regular old cloud. If it was just a regular old cloud, it would be the Greek word nephos or nephos, which just means a cloud, a cloud in the sky. But it wasn't that word. It's the word, word nephele. I don't mean to sound like a dork saying all these words, but it's just important for you to know. This word was used when they were talking about the cloud that led Israelites out of the wilderness. It wasn't just a regular old cloud. You have to remember this is all derived from interview after interview after interview. What did you see? Tell me what you saw. Tell me what you saw. What did you see? What did you see? And when Paul writes this, when he takes a pen to this, he writes the right words with the accurate information to give the accurate picture of what happened. It wasn't just a cloud. It was a nephele. It was the cloud that was used when um, Moses led Israel, or God led through Moses, Israel out of Egypt. It was the same cloud that God spoke from when Jesus was baptized. You guys remember those stories over in Matthew 17, Mark, and Luke chapters 9? You remember the story? A voice came from the heavens and talks about um, there being a cloud there. It was the same cloud, same word used there. It's the same cloud that Jesus said he would come back in over in Luke 21. Remember, they, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. Not just a cloud, the same one that led the people out of Israel. You guys hearing me? 
The same cloud that Jesus sits on like a throne in Revelations. If you read Revelations 10.1, Revelations 14, verses 14, it talks about Jesus sitting on a throne. Um, a cloud that was like a throne. So his disciples aren't just seeing Jesus float off and being tended to by Cupid and his buddies. They are literally in the presence of God and are witnessing the Son of God return to the Father. A Father who, by the way, is well-pleased, just like he was the day that he was there in a cloud and said, this is my Son who I'm well-pleased. Listen to him when he was baptized. You guys tracking with me? This is important to know, don't you think? Was it just a cloud? God was there. The glory of God was there. And then you have the word received. Again, another picture. We get the idea that Jesus just kind of disappeared into a cloud. But that word received literally means to take up in order to raise. It's just a very choice word. To take up in order to raise. What is that called whenever you lift weights and you have that thing and you bring it up and then you bring it up over your head? What do they call it? Power clean? So get that. That's what this word means. Listen. You lift it up, maybe to there, maybe to there. Why? In order to raise. That's what that word means. You guys get that? He was lifted up in order to raise. That's how he was received. By a cloud. This cloud lifted him up in order to raise. He just didn't like float away into a cloud. I think that's a great picture. Don't you think that's a great picture? I think this is the type of picture that Luke is trying to paint. uh, paint. I believe that the disciples witnessed Jesus, the Son of God, be raised up majestically to his rightful place beside the Father. And I think literally this is what the disciples saw. Not just, oh. I think they're there. They're in the moment. They're discerning what's going on. Jesus is is being lifted up. He was very much in control, very majestic looking. And all of a sudden, the cloud received him. The cloud lifted him up. And it says that word means in order to raise. I almost believe that what they saw somehow was Jesus lifted up and sit on the throne. Just the wording that is used. In fact, you look at Mark's account of this, this whole thing over in chapter 16. And he says, so then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, the stuff that we find in six, seven, uh, six and seven and eight. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. How would Mark know what happened? Why would he say that he sat at the right hand of God if he just disappeared in the cloud? I don't know what happened, man. He just disappeared. Part of me wants to believe that they literally saw Jesus seated, lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father. Just the wording that they used. Mark saw something. And Luke interviewed people that saw something that led them to believe that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. And whatever it was that they saw, Luke recorded that they were captured by it, for sure. Look what it says in verse 10. They were looking intently, or they were gazing up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, which, by the way, is probably the same two men that were at this uh, tomb when Jesus After Jesus' resurrection, you guys remember that? It stood beside them and it said, Men of Galilee. By the way, all the disciples were from Galilee except for one. Interestingly enough, it was Judas. Judas was from Judea. All the other disciples were from Galilee. 
Hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? It's the same word as up here, which means to discern. Why are you looking? Why are you trying to discern what's going on? This same Jesus who had been taken from you, who has been taken from you, will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Why do you stand here trying to discern what's going on? Why are you, why are you gazing so intently? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now, the words of the angels here are just as important as what the disciples were seeing. What they heard from these two men, which were probably angels, were just as important. It was just as important as what they, they saw. And this is what I wanted us to, to kind of focus on or end with focus on was what, why was this event important to them and why is this event important to us? It says the ascension. Why is the ascension, ascension important for them and why is it important for us? <clears throat> What's going on here that, that, um, that they need to remember, they needed to take into consideration, they needed to ponder on. And then for us, why is it here? And why is it written with such precise words and picture-painting words? Well, two words as I was thinking about this, two words came to me, comfort and conviction. For the purpose of comfort and the purpose of conviction. As it relates to the disciples, think of the words that that the angels said. Said this same Jesus. There's comfort in those words for the disciples. This same Jesus. The same Jesus. The disciples were close to the Lord. The disciples loved Jesus. The disciples were going to miss him. But he says, This same Jesus, your friend, your buddy, your savior, but your friend. Remember when he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. This same Jesus is going to come again. There's comfort in them knowing that they were going to see Jesus again. For the disciples, there was comfort. I think for us, there's comfort in knowing that this same Jesus, for us, makes me think of how we need to have a relationship with Jesus. We need to have a a relationship with the Lord that is personal, that is real, that is lasting, to where if he wasn't here or if he wasn't, you know what I mean? Even for a day, we'd be like, man, I've got to get back to the word or to prayer or to whatever. You know what I mean? It's comforting to know that, um, that it is possible, I guess, to have a relationship with the Lord, to have intimacy with the Lord. These are kind of words that are thrown around and, and seem silly sometimes because we say them so much. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And in our good Christianese um, stuff, we say, oh, yes, yes. But if you really think about how goofy and how trite that can become, that phrase, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you have? But the truth is, is like, that's what it's all about. The disciples had this relationship with, the G- with Jesus. Now, granted, it's different. The way we relate, the way that we have a Savior as a friend, the way we're intimate with Him is different. But the point is, is that we're able to have a relationship. I read this and I think, wow, the angels are, are comforting these guys. The same Jesus, He's going to come again. The same Jesus, your friend, 
They were comforted by it. I'm comforted by it. Think also the fact that um, that there's conviction in that. The same Jesus will come again, will come back in the same way with majesty, with authority to judge, to establish a kingdom. You know what? Even on a comfort level, think about that. The disciples, what were they after? What were they discerning in the moment? Is this the time? And the angel said, hey, the same Jesus, he's going to come back again. He's going to come again. In the same way that he left, how did he leave? In glory, in control, with authority, with majesty. He's going to come again in the same way. There's got to be a bit of a comfort on some level for the disciples there. It's like, okay, okay, so he is going to come back and kick tail. I think the angels are saying, yes, he is going to come back that way. In the same way, glorious, from the clouds, majestically, powerfully. So there's levels of comfort for the disciples even in that. You guys see what I'm saying? They're comforted by that. Hey, listen, if, if, if my savior, my friend, my mentor was just about to just disappear, you know, I mean, I would be kind of thrown off by that. Especially knowing that what I thought he was about this whole time will never take place. You know, there's just this level of comfort that the angels inserted into them. It's like, okay, okay, there's kind of closure on this. He is coming back. By the way, he's gone for good. You know what I mean? I think that's why there's probably conviction for the disciples too. Not only was he gone, he's gone for good. He says, this same Jesus who has been taken from you. Jesus was gone for good this time. He had appeared for them, appeared to them here and there and there and there. But they're saying this time, there's no, there's no more appearing. This Jesus who is, has been taken from you. Now more than ever, there's a conviction that, okay, I really do need the helper. Jesus isn't going to just appear again. He's not going to meet us over by the lake again and cook us some fish. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to be here. The, the angels made it very clear. To me, there's a level of conviction in that, that they are going to need the helper. They're going to need to rely on the helper because helper, they're going to be tempted probably to move forward, to do the work that they called him to without the helper. There's a level of conviction in that, not just immediately, but continually, over and over, day after day. Rely on themselves or rely on something else to get the job done. But what he said is, he has been taken from you. So you need to heed his direction, which was what? Wait for the helper. I just think about um, um, how he says he will come back in the same way. He's going to come back to judge. The disciples knew Jesus' teaching. He knew that Jesus is going to return to those who love him, who keep his commandments. So from that moment, there's probably conviction in that statement as well. Jesus is coming back in the same way that he's being taken up. A good disciple Maybe not in the moment, but eventually we'd be like, he's coming back. He said he was coming back. He said he was going to come back and separate the sheep from the goats. He's com- you know what I mean? There's this level of, I need to get my stuff together. I need to get my stuff together. When Jesus comes back, they would be held accountable or they would be judged for how they lived the rest of their lives, not for what they experienced in the glory days. Think about that. How easy would it be for them to think, oh, well, let's just move forward and we'll just move forward with the, um, we'll just... What will get us there is what we experienced in the glory days. No. It had to be every day, living every day, 
for the Lord. Is that making sense? You're looking at me kind of funny. So they're, I think they're comforted by Jesus' words, but I think they're also convicted, I mean, by the angel's words, but they're also convicted. And think about us, it's the same thing. I read this, and one of the main things that I was thinking about in all this is their words. He will come in just the, the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Some of your versions say he will return in the same way. It just makes me realize and become acutely aware again that Jesus, our Lord, is coming back. Our Lord is coming back. Hopefully the disciples were, were had the ability to be convicted about, okay, I need, not when, and when I mean conviction, I don't mean like in the moment they realized they did something wrong, but this conviction that we need to do something right. I am convicted and I am convinced that I've got to move forward and I've got to walk in righteousness. I read this and I think, okay, my Savior's coming back. I hope I'm operating with conviction. I hope, hope I'm living with conviction. I hope I can move forward with conviction and be aware that at any moment I could be trying to do the same thing they are. I'm going to be held accountable. I've got to live a life day to day. I can't just live off what I've experienced in the past. I've got to live knowing that he's coming back and he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. In fact, look at 20, Matthew twenty five thirty one with me. This is kind of the scripture I wanted to end on. This wasn't a whole lot to talk about, I suppose. There was a reality of stuff going on there. The ascension, there's a lot going on. Choice words. Matthew 25. Jesus went up majestically. He's the king. He was in control and he will return the king and in control. And this time he will he will carry out what the disciples thought he was going to do when he came the first time. He will come and he will judge. He will come and he will take care of business. He will come and uh, with all of his glory. Look what it says in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left by the way these are Jesus's words and whenever the angel said don't worry he'll come again at some point maybe not then but at some point hopefully they were like oh okay so he's coming again 34 then the king will say to those on his right Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry 
and feed you, and or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, the extent that you did it to the one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did you, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them and say, Truly, I say to you, the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And this is just one example of the times where Jesus taught things like this. And in the moment, these angels are standing there and they're saying, don't worry, Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will return the same way that he left. He will return in glory and splendor with power and with the authority to judge. And in that moment, I don't know, I mean, if I was the disciple, I'd be going, Oh, yeah, he said he was going to do that. And then verses and teachings like this come to mind. It's amazing how we are here today. We have the whole Bible to look at, to listen to. We can read the story of the ascension. We can be reminded in other kinds of ways, in ways when when Paul reminds us that Jesus will come again. Or read Jesus' words about how he, he will return. There will come a day when the um, the world will be judged, believers and unbelievers. It's amazing how we can know those things but not live in conviction of it. Do you guys understand what I say when I mean, um, when I say the conviction of it? The conviction of this is going to happen. How am I measuring up to at least this in Matthew 25, 31 through um, 46? Feeding, clothing, going to, and visiting, and inviting, all of those things. Convicted to live a life that is like we say a lot around here, worthy of the calling. I read this, and I'm reminded here in Acts, Jesus is coming again. The day that he departed, there was a strong reminder, I am coming again. Right after he had said, you need to be clothed with power from on high, because I am coming again. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not be convicted, you will not be empowered to live like I am um, calling you to live and would be coming back for. Does that, does that make sense? A bride that I'm coming back for. And just all this is wrapped in together. All this is lumped in together. This whole conversation. I'm coming again. The angels assured them, this same Jesus is coming again. I didn't want to go off into what that looks like, the who, the when, what, why, where, how. When. There's just a lot of stuff about his coming back that we aren't certain of, but there are a lot of things that we are certain of. One thing we're certain of is that he is coming back. And what he's coming back for is, his word says, is a, a bride that is spotless and clean. That's us. We are sitting here, 
And one of these days, we will stand before the Lord and He will look us up and down. He will recall our lives in a moment. And He will say, to the left or to the right? A goat or a sheep? And he will divide us. This is something that we do not live in conviction of enough. How do I know? Because of my actions. How do I know? Because of the consistency of my shortcomings. Well, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory. I, I know. But those are supposed to decrease as we grow in the Lord. We know many people who it's not decreasing. Sin's not decreasing. Sometimes even e- it's even increasing. As believers, we are supposed to be becoming more and more and more like him. Why? Because I am convicted that he is coming back for something that looks a lot like him. Not something that looks like the world. Something that looks like a sheep, not something that looks like a goat. You know what I mean? It's a reality that we, that we have the opportunity to embrace and just change. Lord, I will live under conviction. I believe that the, that the disciples had the, the opportunity just like anybody else, to say, you know what? I don't know what's going on. Jesus is gone. This is, this is crazy. Uh, you'll, you'll read the, uh, the very next thing. They went directly up to that upper room, and they started waiting and praying. What if they hadn't? What if they hadn't have done that? What if that moment there wasn't that strong comfort that, man, everything's okay, okay, but also conviction that, man, we better get after it. How did they know it wasn't going to be in 10 minutes that he was going to come back? They were like, let's go to the upper room. You know, how did they know it was, it was going to be 2,000 or more years? They didn't. But then that moment they were convicted. I think all his teaching was just going through the mind. You guys, we have a job to do, not just for the world to reach the world, but even within ourselves. We can't just live off the glory days. We can't just live off what Jesus did. We can't just live off the time that he gave us the authority to go cast out demons and cure sicknesses. We've got to, every day, I've got to, and they were waiting. They're waiting for what it was that Jesus said would empower them and give them the ability. What if they hadn't? I don't even know what it would look like. But it's the same thing that we face. What if we don't this day choose whom we're going to serve? What, when, what about when we don't um, step out of the, the bed and hit our knees and, and pray or whatever? What if when we're not walking in that holiness and those kind of things? What, what kind of a life is it? You know? Let's stand. Things like this are gentle reminders. I love that Luke, in his precise account, that he put that in there. The words are choice. This same Jesus will come in just the same way that you saw him go up. He's reminding them what Jesus said, I'm coming back. And it's a reminder for us. We get to read this over and over and over. It's a reminder. And Jesus is coming again. There's more that you can read about it. Obviously, we could dive into all the signs of the times and all that stuff. But overall, that's not even the point, is it? The point is, are we, are we ready? Are we ready for the Savior to look us up and down and judge, judge us all the way down to the depths of our hearts? Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? I don't mean that in a condemning kind of way, but just as the angel said it, I believe that um, that can be a reminder for us in a convicting sort of way. Amen.